All right, here we go. It's podcasting time. Glenn Power is in the studio. We're at the Rove Hotel downtown Dubai. We're talking cars, and you never know where it's going to go. I got lots of questions. Oh, oh, oh. No windows in the Jeep, if you did notice. Yes. <laughs> I was only 31 when I left this morning, so that's that's good. Been horribly humid the last week, too, though, wasn't it? Yeah, well... But I just took him out this morning. So. Not bad today. Yeah, Not yeah. Today. No, it's nice. And it's, you know, w- w- there's so much to talk about. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> lots going on. I'm tired. Yeah. Real tired. Well, you got the new shop. Yeah. You've, you've got tons of things going on. And, you know, uh, that's the way it is in the, in the automotive industry. When it rains, yeah. it pours. Yeah. And it's always... Um, Need it yesterday. Well, yeah, I needed it. I've got a, I've got a pass for the free zone, so I have to use this car and can't go in another car. Or this car's registered to the barrier on the community, or this car is registered to the school. <sighs> I've crashed this car and it's my friend's car, and and he comes back tomorrow, and I need to fix it before he finds out. Oh, that's a good there's one. Always, there's always that. Oh, that's a good always. one. <laughs> there's always things like that. In the UK, it was always I'm booked on a ferry. <laughs> We were literally, you could not be any further from the sea where we were. Like, you could not be further from the sea. And people use that as an excuse. And like, oh, I'm booked on a ferry. I need my car. Oh, we've got a courtesy car. Yeah, but I'm booked on a ferry and I've paid and it's registered to this car. And Yeah, well, that's not going to change the fact that you've got a hole in the side of your engine. There's nothing we can do. Yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah. Always good. I want to thank you for sending me the skodastoryboard.com. Well, so, thank Ian. Oh, thank Ian the, Ian the Skoda guys. He, he copies me into all the press release emails now from Skoda. Okay. And uh, nine out of ten of them are pretty interesting. Yeah. But that one came up I'd probably on all of the others, but I'd not seen it as I'd scrolled through because uh-huh. this one didn't have much going for it. And then I got down and saw the storyboard link. Oh, let's click this. Okay. If, um, you're, if you're struggling to figure out why I even brought this up, if you go back to the podcast before this one, which I believe is podcast number 89, episode number 89. If you go back nice. to episode number 89, you're going to hear us talking about Skoda. In fact, we've been talking about Skoda for the last couple of podcasts. Yeah. And mostly, I mean, all good, mostly the same refrain from the last five years. Why don't they do more marketing here in the Middle East? Yep. And hey, these are great cars. Saw another Scala on the road the other day. Oh, really? However you pronounce okay. it, really nice yeah. car. Uh-huh. Really, really nice car. And then on the storyboard, it was like, we've, all we need is 60 seconds for you to fall in love with the new Fabia. I didn't even need to press play. <laughs> it looks great. <laughs> it's a Polo. Yeah. And it's probably $10,000 cheaper. There you go. So go for it. Like, really, really great cars. And, you know, we've always, let's say had less positive things to say about how the, the franchise has operated here. Well, that's, that's it. Ian, the Skoda guy who, you know, this, the, the, the self-appointed spokesperson in the Middle East for Skodas, he's, he's doing his job better than the franchise is doing theirs. Yeah, as we mentioned before, I mean, he's owned four or five and yeah. he's never once been prompted by them to go back and buy a new one. Yeah. Like, it's frightening. Yeah, what's going on there? Really, really. Yeah, it's crazy. But we've got, those emails are really good. And it does show that the actual brand itself are doing well. And the reason I was prompted to send you that was because a couple of weeks before that, I'd read an article on my Flipboard feed, which I forget who it was from. I think it was Motor 123, saying that Skoda are going to completely cease production for three months because of the shortage of chips. Okay. Which well, that might that you know that might terrible for the people working in the factories, yeah. terrible for the people who are supplying parts, but that would also allow them to work through any backlog. Well, you would think product. so. You would think so. I, I'm not. I'm not sure what their deal is with cars on hand and stock levels and cars sat at ports waiting to be bought and stuff right. like that and sat in the factory lots, you know, waiting to be ordered by yeah. dealers, but you would think it would give them a chance to get rid of some of that stuff. But, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, and, and that's sort of, there's a lot of stuff in a linked here. You sent me the right to repair thing from the CBC oh, article. Yeah. 
these chips that are preventing manufacturers making vehicles are preventing independence, a lot of independence, at least being able to repair them. Let's jump into this for a second, because when I read that article, I instantly thought of you and I said, okay, here we've got a situation that is on our doorstep. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that most people, if they're not in the automotive repair industry and they're not an independent garage, aren't thinking about it because no. you drop your car off, fix it, I pick it up. And up to about, I would say five years ago, this wasn't a huge challenge because there was electronics in our vehicles, but the electronics weren't locked to the extent that they yeah. are now. Or the information that's actually stored in your car was stored in your car. Now, some of that information that you need about the repairs, about what's going on, yeah. about isn't even on the isn't even on board. It's it's sent off board. The cloud at the, yeah. at the factory or wherever. Yeah. And then and and if you're not the dealer, if you're not the franchise, if you're not part of the group that actually works on them, well, you can't get into the cloud. No, I've, I mean my perspective on it is. The first time I ever heard of the right to repair bill was in, from from the US, right? And it was years ago, actually. Yeah, yeah. This is um, this is not new. Like this is, and it's been redone because it doesn't go far enough. And and there was some technicality in the wording which escapes me now, which then was allowed the manufacturers to get around certain parts of it, right? Which has now been challenged. And the CBC article that you sent me was obviously kind of the centric, but it's, it's the same, effectively the same issue. And it's a worldwide issue. My perspective on it, having worked in a dealer and worked in a dealer that I loved the brand, I didn't, it just wasn't my job a bit like your brother. He worked there and yeah. I loved GM. I, yeah. I worked Bruce, at VW. Bruce Bissell, Pontiac, Buick. I loved VW and I wasn't going to go yeah. and I wasn't a mechanic because I had nothing else to do. I wanted to work for Volkswagen and that was the end of it. Yeah. So my perspective is a little bit different in terms of, well, they have the right to protect their IP. Yeah. That if they design a vehicle and how it's going to operate, they have the right at least for a, at least for a warranty period, in my opinion, to, to mm. say, no, nobody's touching this car without it. You know, we do all this R and D, get cars to, to market and the vehicles are in warranty and we're going to make sure they're maintained properly. Now, worldwide warranty rules aren't necessarily adhered to here because of the monopoly we have on franchises. But yeah. worldwide, if I have a vehicle in the UK and I go to Germany with it for a road trip and I need a service while I'm there, as long as I have proof of genuine parts fitted and a service being done from a registered automotive repair centre, when I go back to the UK, the warranty is still valid because I haven't missed a service. Which is great. Which is great. So that's where you get the issue of, well, okay, they need to arrive at the right to repair. And to have that, it's, it's not saying that nobody's allowed to repair cars. It's saying right. that you can't effectively repair them because you don't have the access to the knowledge and the tools yeah. and the equipment and everything else. Well, and, and, and I mean, think about it. And just there, there is a point right now, and we can still do this, where you can go and buy at an automotive store the device that you plug into the car to see what the faults are. Oh, I've just bought a new one. It's amazing. You're going to have to come and see it. Anyway, we'll get to that later. There is, in the foreseeable future, is very possible that not all the information is going to be there. And instead of going and yeah. plugging in, you're going to go to a, a, an IP address. Yeah. And you're going to type in the car's IP. So, yeah. And it's going to then give you a nice detailed thing on your computer. Yep. And you're bypassing that. And and the the, the automotive industry, the, the automotive industry, the, those automotive manufacturers can use that then to protect their brands so that only they can work on it because, okay, well, you know, we're not going to give you none of it, but we're only going to give you this, the superficial parts and all the major repairs that you would need those diagnostics for. We're not going to give you. Yeah. I think there's an easy, not necessarily easy, easy is the wrong word, but a sensible compromise that could be had where the right to repair could go to a certain level initially to make it easy to get through where somebody like myself as an independent, and as I say, that's why my perspective might be a little bit 
confusing to somebody. So and that's and that's the folks who are who are so yourself as an independent. Yeah, the, it's your it's your industry that is really getting hammered by this, or potentially yeah. and getting. And ultimately, hammered. independents employ the majority right. of technicians. Of automotive technicians are employed majority of them with independents. Now, the thing is. It might sound strange to me to say, well, they have a right to hold on to information. They've designed this car. They know how. And, and don't forget, we have to remember here, and this is consumer-driven. It happened with the Samsung Note 7, where the battery's set on fire, because yeah. they have to get things out quickly, 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 right. quickly. So there's no... I remember my granddad talking to me about Japanese cars doing a 100,000 uh, miles on a test bed before they ever got released. Yeah. You can't do that now. Because by the time you've done that, someone else has come out with a much better car with an improved model or someone's leaked your design. Something's been copied and improved on. So cars are actually tested real world by the consumer. That's why we have safety campaigns, safety recalls, proactive service campaigns. And it doesn't matter if it's a... That's frightening. Honestly, that frightens me. But it's a fact. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, it doesn't... I mean, Tesla's a good example because Tesla will know that your car has a problem online. And they will either tell you or they won't, but they will turn up at your house and fix it, or they can do it online. Right. Your car is online. And if it's a software or a, a, an issue with a sensor or something that they can read and then rectify with software, they will do that without you necessarily even having to know. Now, as a Brit, we're famous and great at being eccentric. <laughs> Americans are great said, for- said by, said by this man. We, nothing, you can't be an eccentric. Everyone's got one. A bloke who walks around the streets with shorts that are way too short because he wants to pop out. This happens in most villages in the UK. This is just the way it is. There's always some weirdo. But in America, they're famous for conspiracy theories. Area 51. That's not a conspiracy. 9-11. JFK. Keep going and keep going. They're just huge, uh-huh. massive on conspiracy theories, right? So. In the US, you've got these theories which are going around. And to be fair, there's probably a bit in them. We saw it with Jeep. They got their cars hacked by an independent group that showed they could make their cars to steer off the road mm. with a computer in another vehicle just by controlling them through the network. If you were to, say, bring a brand new Jeep Wrangler, you say you've gone by a brand new Jeep Wrangler and it's still in warranty but there's a part not covered under warranty because of some, you've taken it off road and there's been a bit of misuse and something's been damaged. Let's say a fuel pump. Now you want then to have that repaired or the fuel pump modules damaged because there's water ingress because you've been going through the water in it. Jeep might say to you $1,000 and I might be able to do it for $800. So a sensible person's going to say, well, for the same part, I'm going to do it for $800. I may fit that and it may work but there may be a completion code that needs to be put in to say it's been done by a dealer. Mm. So as an example for a VW, if I want to do a steering angle sensor adaptation, I need a pin number. That number is available out there and there are certain diagnostic tools that have it and it's a five digit number and I know what it is. But if I didn't know what it was, I can't actually do that reset. So I can change your angle sensor, but I can't reset it. So then yeah, you've got to go problem. back to the dealer. Yeah, that's a problem. Right? So if I have the same idea with the Jeep, if Jeep say, okay, all right, no problem, you can fix the car, but I haven't put one, two, three, four, five in to say that I'm a Jeep dealer, here's my dealer number, et cetera, et cetera. It hasn't been done by that. And this has been happening for 20 years. 20 years ago, you would put your technician ID, retailer number, and importer number when you did a repair on a Volkswagen and it's the same across all brands. I only know about Volkswagen, but I know it will be the same across all brands. If I haven't got that information, the car might start, but now everything's online and connected through a cloud and a network. What's to stop Jeep saying, let's just change one of the bits on the binary code and make that car run a little bit rich. So since I've now fitted your fuel pump module, you're saying, look, man, I'm losing, I'm losing 10 miles a gallon. I was doing 25. Now I'm only getting 15. Mm. Now it's a conspiracy theory, but yeah, yeah, yeah. what's to s- manufacturers have done a lot worse. They've done a heck of a lot worse. VW are going dragged through the mill on the diesel gate thing. Mercedes are hanging around with it. People investigating those guys. BMW. There's a lot of things going on that are not as bad as that, but 
up there. And there's a lot of thought, and, and this is the problem. You don't actually have necessarily full control of your vehicle. There have been supercars for a while that the factory have known when they've needed a service and they've been able to lock you out. So you can't use your vehicle. If you want to use it on a racetrack, you have to let them know so they can allow your software to operate properly on the racetrack, et cetera, et cetera. There's certain things that's, that... That's, didn't, that's a big brother right there. It's, yeah, but it's, it's been matrix. there for years. Yeah. A long, long time. So now if you've got repairs to a car, there'll always be some part of me that will think, well, the manufacturers do have the right to yeah. hold on to certain things. Sure, sure. And I think the immediate compromise would be that, okay, for this market, PowerWorks Garage are able and have access to these codes through a secure connection with our workshop that will be autonomously controlled. So at no point will I see any of the data, will I see any of the codes, will I see any of that, so I can't then go and share it with my friend's garage who hasn't paid to be officially approved and I would pay a fee uh, whether it was set by an international agreement or a one-on-one basis but I would definitely pay a fee for that support from the dealer what you would find with that as well you would then get people forced to then specialize so you would have much better independent options for your type of car. There are a lot of cars in our garage, all different makes and models, and we've got technicians that are good on some and not so good on others. But if I have to put my hands up and choose and someone says to me, gun to head, you've got to specialise, it'll be Volkswagen Group and forget everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might make the independent market better and it would allow for a little bit more control of a product from the dealer and ultimately the way new car sales are going at the moment there's a slight increase they've got to do something to really keep up that momentum and to allow more freedom for repair for not just the garages that are wanting to repair them but the actual person who owns the car you know it, it's Sad to hear, but we get it all the time. Oh, the dealer want four weeks to get me in and then it's three days when they've got the car and it's X amount of money. There's no courtesy car available. There's no, yeah. it, you know, it's it's back end of beyond and, and I can't get a taxi and it's like 400 dirhams for the three days while I've got the car and it's like, well, it's three hours job, we'll do it. And it, and it happens and it's not just here, it's everywhere. I just think that we have to, there can't just be a ruling, in my opinion, there can't just be a ruling that says, okay, manufacturers have to give all the information because it's dangerous in the wrong hands. I wonder if there isn't a middle ground here somewhere. So I get the lockout or some form of a lockout of data of vehicles for a, a specific period of time. So a brand new car, you've got, you've got the warranty, you've got all that whether it's three years, five years, the mileage, you know, that. And in that window, the independents are locked out. And I know independents, we go, oh, come on. But in that window, because warranty stuff. But as soon as you hit that barrier, whether it be the three years or whether it be the mileage, I think it should be unlocked. They've created their own problem here. And it's, it's Kia and Hyundai that kicked it off, really. So... In terms of the window, everything was three-year warranty. Three yeah. years, 6,000 miles. Yeah, yeah. When I was in the UK, everyone's the same. Three years, 60,000 miles. doesn't matter what the car is. Then all of a sudden, Kia starts saying five years. Hyundai, <laughs> give you seven. Yeah. Vauxhall, so Opel here, Vauxhall were lifetime. Can you imagine? So if you had the car, the first owner of that vehicle was lifetime warranty on that car. Can you imagine? I don't know what it covered and voxels are awful, but yeah, and, and that's a different conversation. How often do you see them? But okay. Yeah, but, but, but you've but got, still. you've got the situation where a model run now of seven years, say, say a golf. So the Mark eight golf is out now and the seven was what? 2012, 2013. So in those eight, nine years of that model, 
if you were to kick someone's car out of three-year warranty in 2015, 2016, and allow the independence access to that, how can you then, how can you do it? Because there's brand new cars that were made in 2015 that you don't want them to have access to. And and the 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 the, the time aspect of it is very difficult because you could have a new car at the end of its model run, which everyone has access to because they've already been allowed on the first gen. And I don't know how without some kind of agreement, it, it cannot be independent versus retailer. It can't yeah, be and that, that. That's what's being created. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, that's where the issue is. And I think giving everything's connected now, right? Yeah. I can do, anything through the air without any kind of wires. There's nothing needed. I don't see why I can't have a connection to the dealer here, the retailer here and say, look, I've just changed a, um, ABS control unit. Yeah. I just want to make sure that it's signed off by you guys. I bought the part from you. So you buy the part, you get a ticket with it. That ticket has a number on it you press enter to your online secure connection to there and it's done autonomously just done. And then it's fine. Signed off, done. There's a stamp and a signature and a, and a piece of paper or a, whatever, a digital record of it that then goes on that vehicle's history. The manufacturer has sold a part to the retailer. The retailer has sold the part to a customer, which would be me. I've sold the part to my customer. My customer saved a bit of money and they've still managed to manage and control the job. The only problem, potentially again back to the conspiracy, would be if I'm a retailer uh-huh. and PowerWorks Garage are calling me and saying, "Look, we just changed this ABS unit. Can you can you approve the online connection?" I let them wait a couple of days. Yeah. Oh, we've got a problem with our network. There's a problem with this. There's a problem with that. Oh, we're got the capacity and the bandwidth is used yeah, up. Yeah, we're so yeah, busy. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, they're going to make life difficult for you because they want the job. Why wouldn't they? So there's there's a lot that's going to come down to some personal honour, shall we say, and agreeing and sticking to that. But I do think at the end of it, it'll be a positive shift. One of the issues now is that technology changes so quickly. Another problem. Yeah. Technology changes so quickly and, you know, recalls, safety campaigns, we used to do a lot of campaigns on cars while the car was in for service. You know, we'd, yeah. we'd get the, serv- the job card and it'd say, carry out 10,000 mile service. Tell us what interval it was on, give us the oil. And on the back was a check sheet. The check sheet was um, Elsa, which was uh, our online portal for all the service information for any vehicle, the VW. And on there, there might be outstanding campaigns. There could be none. We six. <laughs> <laughs> and none of them are safety related. So we're what we they were called proactive service campaigns. Uh-huh. So when the vehicle's in, just address it. So we used to fit little water shield covers for wiper motors. Uh, we fitted a little like just like rubber bobbins on oil coolers mm. just to stop them vibrating and cracking. Uh-huh. Sorry, fuel coolers. And we'd have um, extensions for exhaust pipes for diesel powered um cabin heaters for when the engine was off. These little things that we just do, we just did them. When the car was in, just do it. And then the customer was told, and we've done this, we've done this, we've done this, there's the information for you, but it's been done now. No reason to send the mail, send any letter, make a phone call, panic somebody to get them to come in. No reason for that. Just get it done while it's in. But what happens if if I don't have access to that information and I just fit an old part or something like that? These yeah, are, these, yeah. these are the... This this is where it's murky and it's not as easy as just saying, well, I'm an independent and I've done my qualification and I, yeah. I have an entitled to repair cars. So unfortunately, a little bit more in it. Than so that. again, having that, that second step where, yes, you're an independent, but you've also gone that extra mile to specialize for that brand yeah. and that gets you unlocking the door to some of these other things. And, yeah. and, it, and if those things like putting those rubber bobbins or putting those splash guards on are something that's being done then the manufacturer would supply you that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. This is, this is where it needs to be a a conversation and not us against them. 
Yeah. It can't be like that's, that. That's the problem though, isn't it? Because it, it's, it's now manifesting as independents versus manufacturers, yeah. dealers who've paid franchises, who've paid. It's millions. You know, yeah. I, I, I could, I could call Volkswagen Middle East and I could ask them, how can I pass an audit and get standards to be an approved repairer? Yeah. Not a retailer. I would never be able to be a retailer because there's an agreement here. What can I be an approved repairer? And I can. Okay. It would be at least $3 million, at least $3 million to get the right size space, all of the standards of the flooring, the walls, the shade of paint, Yikes. The, the special equipment that there's a minimum amount of and a minimum commitment to buy in every month. So it's out of reach. The training. Yeah. Like they just made it so difficult that no one's going to go for it. It's just the way that it is. Yeah. yeah. You, you've got to be on your game and you've got to do it well. Yeah. No, you're talking huge, huge money to, to do that. And why not? They spend billions yeah. every year producing yeah. cars. So they want to know that. Whilst the sales executive sells one car, the service department sells the next 10 for that customer. Yeah. They bring the car, they, they'll visit once to look at a car, maybe again to road test it, maybe again to test it again. And then the next time they want to, you want them in is to, to hand it over. They're going to visit the service department 10 times more than that. So, so I'm going to throw out the challenge here because I, I know Nissan listens. I know Al Nabuda and Volkswagen are listening. I know the GM folks and Al Tire with Ford are listening. I don't understand why those guys don't show up outside the rove here, our studio, and say, hey, guys, have a walk around this car. Yeah. I, I don't get it. And I know they're listening, and I'm just thinking, hey, guys, here you got a captive audience on this great podcast, and people are not only listening, they're watching. Thank you. Yeah. Why not bring one over and just say, hey, we're going to, let's hang out with you for half an hour and take a walk around the car and actually take it for a little spin, and then we'll just take it back on the flatbed. We'll take it back on the tow truck. and enjoy it. And, and I, I mean, I'd be all over that if I was a manufacturer, if I was uh, selling the vehicles here, because not only do we, we have the manufacturers have offices here and the franchises who are selling them. And I, I, I maybe I need to make a phone call to Ford and just say, start with Ford. Cause I know the guys over at Altire a little bit, maybe just make a call and say, why don't you do that? Like, this is when we, this is when we're recording. Yeah. Yeah. We'll tack on an extra half hour and we'll go out and, and have a chat about a car. Yeah. Makes sense. And another thing that would be sort of what we've been talking about is to talk to the people responsible for upholding the standards of their technical side of their business. Right. Selling a car, you need a nice clean showroom with nice bright lights. Yeah. If it's an American brand, as many cars crammed together as you can for whatever reason they decide <laughs> to do that and bunting. <laughs> and if it's a German brand, nicely spaced out, choose the right colours for the floor. And sorry for the vehicles on the floor and go from there. But, but let people know what you go through because yeah. the problem with, we had quite a good, we had quite a good relationship with our, our customers in the UK. The area we were in was quite small, but densely populated in the actual center. But everybody kind of knew each other. We had customers, I've driven cars back to a customer like 40 miles. Yeah you know, past other dealers because we had, they were loyal to us. We'd been there for 40 odd years at that point. And it's, you know, it, it changed hands, but the staff stayed the same. And yeah. and we had a really good relationship with them. People understood we had bills to pay and people understood that the apprentice was expensive because he needed to be trained. And people understood that the service advisors were there because they'd been, trained and they'd been invested in and they had a certain amount of expectation with that of, okay, well, I'm going to pay another 50 quid here, but it's worth it. They look after me, but that doesn't happen everywhere. It doesn't happen here. And, and, and especially these days where, you know, I go into a place, I've been into places, doesn't matter if it's a car, if it's a garage, a showroom or a, a restaurant and you look around and think this is going to be expensive. Yeah, and that my bill is only that high because those lights cost you twenty thousand dollars, and it's wrong. Yeah, and it, there is a reason those lights cost twenty thousand dollars, and that's because, well, unfortunately, Ford, as the example you used, told us we had to use them, yeah. and we've spent yeah. ten million dollars this year meeting their standards, and we just failed an audit, and we had to pay them fifty thousand because we didn't have the right tool. 
we're not, and I'm not joking here, if they come round to us, so it used to be called the VQM, it's not called that anymore, but the Volkswagen Quality Audit, basically, we had the same guy every year, and he used to get so much abuse, it was unreal, but he was like a sergeant major. He'd be in there, straight to the point, no small talk, right, I want this tool, this tool, this tool, this tool, big list of tools, maybe 10 on it, maybe 100 on it, I want them here, you've got 30 minutes. And if we get them all, but it's 31 minutes, fail. If we get <laughs> Why? Why if we, we get 90 of them and 10 are missing, fail. And depending on what they are, there's a fine and it's a fixed fine. Wow. Literally, you've got a broken tile there. When was that broken? Because if it wasn't broken just now, that's a problem. It needs to be fixed. Take the area off, get it fixed. That wall's the wrong colour. Who gave you permission to use that tool? Why have you got a non-genuine oil filter on your shelf? Where's this air filter from? Who changed that air filter? That wasn't ready for changing. You've jacked the car up on the service points, not the jacking points. This sort of stuff. So there's a reason. F- yeah, yeah. There's a reason we had to spend money and charge that money. And and dealers could do that. Dealers could have. This would be a good platform for them. So, you know, get the after sales manager on, yeah, get yeah. the after sales director on, yeah, yeah. and let them say, they don't you have to give us financials, but they can say, look, we have a massive commitment every month or every year to. Ford, where we have to meet these standards and this is what it takes and there's a lot of work in it and these are we have to commit to 100 hours of training every month for our staff and we have to commit to a sale of x amount of cars and if we're not selling them we still have to buy them and then people would get to understand oh, okay they're not just trying to cut the throat out of everything and, and yeah. take as much money out of as as, as they can mm. they actually have got to try and operate a business that's employing 10,000 people. So these things people don't see and dealerships get a bad name because it's not understood, but that's their fault. They should be the ones letting people understand. And if anybody doesn't want to listen, then they won't listen, but they're likely not going to be the people that would go to a dealer anyway. People that will hear them out will benefit from it and they'll have a much better relationship with people at that point. (laughs) I thought that is... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. In a sense, we've thrown down the gauntlet here and it, and it would be nice to, to hear back. Yeah, hopefully. I don't think we will, but it would be nice to. Well, you never know. We'll get, we'll get a picket going outside the showrooms. Yeah. <laughs> Why are your lights no, so expensive? No. <laughs> Not permitted in this part of the world. <laughs> um, we, we've talked about this before. This is not a new topic. The additives cleaning your fuel line, hmm. gas, petrol additives that again are being pushed at the pumps. Yep. And I know we've talked about it before and people can go back and listen to the podcast, but maybe you don't want to go back and hunt that down. So I wanted to just have a, a quick couple of words on this because some of the things the folks are saying right now kind of make me exactly. You just chuckled, kind of make me go really. And I've, I've had a couple recently. And they're always trying to sell me this stuff and and they're good. They're soft cells, you know, say, Hey, do you want some additive? It's I can throw it in right now. It's only, I don't know what it is, 10 Durham's or something. And, and I guess they're, they want to move some. And I had one guy who, who ran his finger around the inside of where you put your gas cap on or petrol cap. He said, look, it's dirty. Your, your tank's dirty. You need, you need some of this. And I'm going, yeah, it's not the tank. Okay. And, and, and then I had another guy who came up to me and said, Oh, fuel really smells. You, you need some, you need some cleaner. Yeah. You can smell the dirt. Yeah. It's, it shouldn't smell like that. And I'm going, yes, it should. But I mean, just myself, but I'm going, these are, it, it, this plays on folks who go, maybe they know something I don't know, or maybe they're right, but it's not necessarily correct. No, there's a, look, there's a reason that a lot of race cars have, they don't really say a fuel tank, they'll say a fuel cell it comes out and it gets changed every race. You don't want fuel to stagnate. It doesn't last forever. We've all smelt it. Anyone that's been in their granddad's or their dad's garage and opened a can of fuel and, you know, you've been with them at the petrol station. I love the smell of petrol. And then you've gone and opened a can. He's like, oh yeah, that's in 1963 or whatever it is. And it stinks. For my two stroke engine from 1963. It's vintage. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, there is a problem with stagnant, stale, degraded fuel. Like, what, what's the lifespan of fuel? 
I mean, you never really notice it because you go to the petrol pumps and those guys are cycling through it on, you know. There's not really a, 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 a lot of people say six months. Yeah. A lot of people will say six, but it depends on how it's stored, where it's stored. Right. If, it's, if it's hot, cold, pressurized, you know, it depends on a lot of factors. Yeah. Now, modern fuel systems are a lot better because they are sealed. They vent to the engine rather than to atmosphere. And, you know, not many people just fill their tank when their engine runs out of fuel and cuts out the side of the road. Most of us will go when there's <laughs> 10 litres left in when the light comes on. Five no to one 10 wants litres. to do the walk of shame. No, exactly. <laughs> so most people will do five or 10 litres. So yeah. in theory, there's always five or 10 litres of old fuel in there. But the way the system works, it picks up from the bottom of the tank anyway. Uh, you know, there's always a bit of sediment in there. The, the, gap, the caps aren't perfectly sealed because they're opened every time you fill the tank and dust mm. gets in and everything else gets in. There's always a little bit of contamination in the lines. The fuel's never perfect. Yeah. You know, the, the, a lot of it on the return systems now, there's charcoal filters and everything else can break down. And there's, there's lots of issues, but we're not driving race cars. We're not needing to get, you know, an extra mile to a tank of fuel on a race car is massive. That's huge. But to us, it doesn't really matter. Brock Chrysler, my stepfather, he 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 disagree with that. I remember we, we had the old well, we had the old Buick. What was it? it? Was a station wagon, one of those ones with the third row that looked, and it it had on the dash a little fuel economy meter, and it would give you oh, and, and we and I remember we'd be driving. That's, that's probably a bit about, of a misnomer. Fuel economy yeah. in a Buick. <laughs> anyway, so I remember it's probably about seventeen, and we'd be driving. And it would be okay. I just filled up with gas. We did. We did this many. Let's calculate how how, how much yeah, did yeah. I get to the gallon. Well, and that's good. He was a bit of ahead of his time. You know, he, he, around today, getting 85, 90 miles to a gallon out of a out of a diesel, he'd be loving it. But you know, yeah. He, we're not talking about it. Yeah. It is ultimately just an upsell. It's all, mm. it, there's not much to be said. Now, if you're using it regularly and you're using it why regularly, we're not talking like, about like every I, time. Because If I had gonna, a new car and I started using it sort of once a month, putting some gas line, you know, yeah. d- cleaner through, that's probably a good thing, right? Don't forget your new, your new car has probably been sat somewhere for six months though. Yeah. So this is the so thing. It's not really so a new it's car. It's not really that new. The fuel's not really... You know, we used to get... Think of the stale fuel that's been sitting in there out in the field. We used to get cars for PDI, for pre-delivery inspection, which they'd always come with, usually the light just not quite on. So so when you set the fuel gauge, and again, back to a VW, when you set the gauge for the light to come on, it's seven litres, and they'll get calibrated with seven litres of fuel. So you, the light's either on, or it's about to come on as soon as you've done your first 100 metres in the car. And that's it. But So then we would fill them for the customer, not us, we'd, one of the drivers or the valet bay guys would do it before the customer picked them up from the showroom. But if you're using it regularly from day one or, you know, by regularly, we're not saying every fuel tank because the problem is these these additives are slightly, let's say, petrols are a decent solvent, but they're they're, they're they're designed to break up contaminants they're designed to Let's, dissolve in contaminants impurities in the fuel that was my other question petrol for the most part is a solvent yeah and when you go to the manufacturers of that fuel so you, you know it's not everyone's making fuel you know you the it's the big guys it's the esos the exxons yeah. the you know the texacos etc they don't just give you raw fuel they've thrown in a bunch of additives yeah. to start with stabilizers exactly. cleaners yeah, yeah. it's already got all the stuff yeah. in it these, these, there are a lot of, you, you should talk to, we've mentioned before, Colin used to sell this stuff, you know, like. Yeah. Oh yeah. But hasn't he sold? He, he well, also- he's, he's, he's at the minute, he's <laughs> selling snow to the Inuit. <laughs> but you've got a situation where there's some benefit to it because somewhere somebody has been able to prove that. Yeah. But really, especially when we're filling so regularly with, with relatively good fuel. If you're not using it from day one, it's very little use in using it after that. It's it's not to the point where we see, you know, we do see problems with people that just, oh, you know, I'll throw a tank, I'll throw a can of that in the tank this time. And they think, oh, I got another 10 miles out of this tank. That stuff's good. Let's put another one in. Oh, that's great. Let's put another one in. 
and I think I've probably told the story before, we used to use, um, uh, it was called uh, fuel optimizing <laughs> cleanser or something like that. I can't remember the exact name of it now, but it, it was a, a Worth product and we used it in the UK. And customers were saying, oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. It's like 50 pounds a bottle. Jeez. And they were taking it. And we'd, then we'd, we'd have like a pack. So the pack of it, pack we'd supply to them after the service had an additive for the oil that we put in the next time we drained it, just 20 minutes before we drained it. Another fuel treatment, a couple of microfiber cloths and all this, just, just the stuff to put together to sell. And um, we'd put one in on the service and the customer would be like, oh, I'll bang another one of those in. Great, yeah. Because you know, they'd believed what, what they'd been told by the advisor, which was then was actually being relayed from the salesman of the product as well. And we'd had uh, diesel filters just mashed up, dissolved, because they'd overused it. Yikes. So the, you have to be careful that you don't overuse it. Yeah. And if you've not used it for 300,000 kilometers, don't start now, because you're potentially going to cause issues that yeah. you can't rectify without taking injectors out or cleaning fuel rails. A lot of modern cars now, you can't change injectors without fuel rails. So you've got a lot of things to consider before you just start throwing it in the tank. And that is advice. Advice on that, really. I'm, I'm not in a position to say I'm qualified to give the advice on that. I would always say to somebody, ask your manufacturer, mm. if, you, if you drive a Nissan, ask Nissan. Yeah. You know, okay. Do you use this? And if so, which one do you use? And do you recommend I use it? I've done 400,000 kilometers and never used one before. And they'll tell you yes or no and let them do it because then when there's a problem because of it, they can be the one to pick the pieces up. There we go. That's good advice. Another one that I wanted to to jump on was the image you sent me on WhatsApp of the Honda Civic with the rear <laughs> the modified rear suspension. <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> it looked industrial to me. So I mean, typically there? the those Honda Civic has these days, a nice little, you know, wishbone suspension, nice little independent yeah. suspension. Yeah. And from the behind, they, you know, it just looks like a regular car. You said this image of, I don't know what they put on that thing. Like, well, either there was an elephant on the front and it lifted the back up or it had been jacked up, but there's like an RSJ, <laughs> not a, not a rear subframe. Yeah. And they'd painted it bright green yeah. as well to let everybody know what they were packing. <laughs> and it was like... The most ridiculously reinforced off-road capable back end to any car. It would have fit on a Nissan Patrol perfectly. I wonder what it would dri- what it drove like. Like it must have been a really rotten ride. Yeah, and it was burgundy, <laughs> so it didn't look great either. It looked Spe- great. Speaking of mods, I saw one yesterday, and I couldn't get a picture because I was I was going around a corner, and the vehicle was passing me on a corner, and there was. You know, it's just not safe to, to be using a phone anyway in a car. So I didn't, I couldn't get vid- visuals. And then when we did get caught in traffic, they were too far ahead. So it was like, you know, put it in park and run ahead to get a photo. But I decided that wasn't a good idea either. And it was a Volkswagen, it's so a back to Volkswagen, Volkswagen Touareg. Yeah. With an off-road lighting kit on the front, on the roof. So and, I'm, and I'm looking at him going, I mean, it was seriously wired in too, but it was because I had passed me. I'm going, what's that guy got on there? It was one of those LED bars going across. And I was wondering, I'm looking at this guy and I'm going, you're taking that thing off road. And I thought, well, either that or you're driving down a lot of roads where there's no lighting at night and you just want to have it illuminated. But it was, it, it, it was seriously put on. Capable off road, capable car, hopefully had off road tires <laughs> and not the road tires that they came with. Cause they're not the best tires it, in the world. It off-road. looked like it was a little, the tires did not look original. It was, yeah. a, they were a little bit larger than I would expect. I don't like the led bars on the roof line because they, they tend work. to light the front of the bumper and the front of the bonnet up, which glares back at you rather than the head. And it casts a big shadow because of it. It depends yeah. how the beam oh, of it is. Oh. But Imped Sean from motoring Middle East, very capable off-roader. Mm. And I am pretty sure he had issues with them as well. And something about dust. And if the dust got kicked up because yeah, of the way those like, all the dust, you couldn't yeah. see anything. Yeah, yeah. So this it, is it, it was, yeah. The front end of the car just gets turned into glare. Yeah. You need the lights lower or on the side, but right yeah. over the, it yeah. just, it was yeah. pointless. A lot of it is, is we've all seen and heard <laughs> the Wranglers that are 19 feet tall and $7,000 fog yeah. lamps and stuff and yeah. spot lamps on the front that, that have never seen a sand dune. Yes. 
yes. apart from in the background when they just had a selfie taken for Instagram. <laughs> but you know, you've got you've got a situation where it looks probably better than it actually works. Yeah. And Instagram's right. Like I say, it just you just cast a massive shadow of the nose of the car on the road in front, and then. Because in the desert, you might not have anything for your light to hit and reflect yeah. back at for miles. Really do anything apart from light up all the dust. Yeah. And Speaking of, of sounds of vehicles, Alexandra Hershey, a.k.a. Supercar Blondie, I don't know why I was watching one of her Instagram feeds, and but I was. And she was, was talking about this little... I don't, cheap little addition to your exhaust system at the tailpipe that you kind of, it was like a whistle and you put this little metal bracket in, you know, tightened up the bolt yeah. and it changed the sound of your exhaust. So you wanted to get that. Boom, 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 boom. All you did is put that thing on there and it made a. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Where do you start? Where do you start? She's made too many videos. Now she's down to Alfred's in the UK and just buying rip speed out of all the crappy. Like I mentioned them before, the guys on Donut Media, they do the, they do quite a few different things, but one of them they do with a D list and, and, and they list the worst accessories you can buy from Amazon and the best accessories you can buy and the most popular and they rate them and the least popular and they rate them. And, um, I can't even think that they've had one of those on there yet, but I've seen them. I have seen them. I think they get, they get on my Facebook feed actually. And like, you know, when you get like the, the crazy, there's like a whistle for an exhaust. Yeah, yeah. Then there's something to fix bunions on your feet. And then there's like one of those toys that you had when you were a kid that had all the pins through that you could put your hand in and make an impression in just stuff that you didn't know you needed. You don't know why they, you're, prompted ads thinks you need it because you don't know what you've been searching or talking about to get that given to you. But yeah, yeah, I'm not sure that I'll be going down that route. Another interesting one. And this is, this was courtesy of uh, BBC world service, the podcast edition, a, a term that I'd never heard before, but clearly it's a British term. Mm. And th- so this, uh, this was in conjunction to the fuel delivery shortage in the UK that happened uh, a while back. And they were talking about that. So they were talking to some folks who own service stations Yeah, and they kept referring to them as four courts. Yeah. And I'm, and I was listening to that going, Oh, I never heard that term before. It, yeah. And it was, it was, and so then I was saying, why are they calling it a four court? And I, and, and I thought, wow. And it was truly one of those moments mm. where I go all the years I've met folks from the UK, all the years I've seen, I've never heard anyone talk. And, and it was just this guy, well, you know, the four courts can have a... Yeah. I thought, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, it's the, the court that's before the garage. So a petrol station's not... You, some people call them petrol stations in the UK, but they're normally called a garage. Okay. So where you go to fill up a gas station or whatever you yeah. might call it. We call, I would call it a gas station. I don't yeah, a gas, gas station, station, filling station, whatever. Yeah. I call it. But we, most people will call them a garage. Okay. Colloquially, at least. And so then, I think of the, gar- the, gar- the garage, the garage as a place oh yeah, where I still, go to get it yeah, fixed. Yeah, we still call that garage. Well, okay. All right. Uh, don't That's worry about it. It's got loads of different, yeah. Okay. T- you know, there's loads of different words that we've got 900 uses for. <laughs> don't go enough words. Um, <laughs> but forecourt. But this is the court that's for the garage. So a garage in the UK <sighs> would typically be somewhere fixing the car and then they would oh. pump the fuel. See, I was thinking somehow they're talking about four quarts of fuel. They've got them. Yeah. They've got to measure. I'm ah, going, you see, we don't use this. Co- no, <laughs> see, this is the other one. So there's a great song actually by the, the, the by before the, the <laughs> yeah. There's a great great song by the streets called, called Two Nations, and it, the the lyric is Two Nations divided by a common language and the English and the U.S. issue. But we we use metric for some stuff, imperial for others. So when it comes to we all our road signs are in miles per hour, right? Of course, not kilometers. Uh-huh. But when we weigh our vegetables, it's in metric grams. <laughs> of course, it is. You know, and we don't use, but we don't use quarts and U.S. gallons or imperial gallons now for fuel. We use right. liters. Yes. So it's all messed up. It's great. 
Well, I told you they're eccentric. Uh, so that's, that's why everyone's eccentric because <laughs> their head's spinning because they can't understand what's going on. That's all the four chord thing. Now I now I get it because I was I was thinking it was all to do with the liquid and the the amount and what the, did they have some kind of Indonesian system where you just got four <laughs> quarts of fuel in there and you pull the thing? No, yeah, no. no we've, uh, I had it all invented in my mind. I mean, look, there is no system in the UK. No system. <laughs> no system. I remember the, fir- the not the first sorry but the first fuel crisis I remember in the UK. Um, it was, I would have been 14 or 15 and we used to walk home from school and there was a few petrol stations on the route home and the garage at the bottom of the hill, as I went up the hill to where I lived at my mum and dad's house, was just queuing all the way back. And we literally walked and it was about four or five miles from the school past the queue all the way to this garage for people wanting for petrol. And I'm thinking even then with very little understanding, I'm thinking, you're just wasting fuel waiting for fuel. What are you doing? Yeah. Not worth it. You know, like just forget about it. People can walk. I mean, everybody walks everywhere and you can walk anywhere in the UK. Plus the buses, the buses go everywhere, you know, and if you're friendly to the bus driver, he'll stop before the stop and let you off at your house. It's not <laughs> nice. a big deal. Like nice. it's no, no biggie. You just, just leave your cars at home. Like yeah. let your kids walk to school. Yeah. Things have changed now though. <laughs> changed. It's a different world. And, you've got an expert on Facebook that tells you that, no, this isn't actually anything to do with truck drivers. This is because <laughs> it's a conspiracy. This, yeah, yeah. This is because <laughs> this is because the UK's run out of fuel because it's run out of oil. And nothing uh, to do with the 25,000 truck drivers that had to leave because of visa issues. You know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> right. So just two things to take away from it is don't ever try and understand English if you're not from England. <laughs> and there is no method to the madness it's just everyone just has to get on with it and it's frightening to think that one day i might end up having to go back there to live yeah and on on that, on that note it's time to say that's a wrap for powerworks Glen power powerworks automotive at glenn that car guy you find them all over the internet Thank you very much. Thank you. Looking forward to doing it all again really soon. Thank you for listening. Share the link. Let us know what you think. Reach out. We'd love to hear your comments. And we'll talk to you again real soon. My name is James Pikeway. So long for now. 